So tonight we're talking about the Sefirot. Raise of hands. How many of you have studied the Sefirot before? Okay. How many of you have studied it in great depth? Okay. Moderate study. Okay, so a few of you have studied the Sefirot before. Most of you have, don't even know what it is. That works for me. Okay, just trying to get a, a feel for, uh, for where we're holding here. Now, there are so many facets to the Sefirot. The Sefirot is how Kabbalah applies to us, physically. So there are so many facets. There are so many ways of understanding, and I'm just going to dabble into it. I tell you, if we studied it for 50 hours, we'd still be dabbling. That's just the amount. So what we can finish in an hour and a half tonight is not going to be, not going to even do justice. But what it will do, and as I promised you with this course, is it'll give you something practical, something real, and something inspiring for your life that you can take with you this week. And that's really what the goal is here tonight. So we may not get through everything, we may not get through all of it, but we're going to try to get to something that will be tangible for you to take home. So, let's just start off by saying that the Sefirot that we're going to talk about tonight, I looked at about 30 translations of these words, these Hebrew words. Not one translator translates it the same. I couldn't find one similarity in any of the translations. So, after looking through 30 translations, I made my own. (laughs) So now there's 31. (laughs) So, the way I'm going to translate it, I think is, in my opinion, is going to be a more realistic way of understanding the Sefirot. Now, if you... I didn't put it here in this diagram that you have on page 27, which is what we're going to... The main crux of tonight's class, we're going to follow this diagram. I didn't, I didn't put it here, but it actually corresponds to the body. So let's start. The top is called Keter. Keter is like the kippah. Why do I wear a kippah? Does anyone know why a kippah is worn? Because you're under God. To always that there's something above you. To always remember there's something above you. It's just a tradition. It's not law. It's just a tradition that when 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 you think the highest part of your body is your head, to remember to have always remember to remember at all times that there's something above your head. There's a higher power. There's a God. So that's what Keter is. We always need to establish where everything comes from. You see, what happens is, very often, we get confused. Because we're going to talk about concepts here tonight. That, if you didn't know better, you would think there were many gods. One of the biggest problems the Greeks had was they couldn't understand how the same god could be kind and severe. The same God can be kind and severe. No. You have one God that's kind and one God that's severe. So it's so easy to go through this diagram here and say there are ten gods here. Ten Sephirot, there are ten gods. So 
Kabbalah immediately dissolves even the idea that this does not come from God and says the top of a diagram that has nothing to do with the Sephirot at all, number one is called Keter, the crown, which obviously is in reference to God. So we all start with God. Once you start with a higher power, the rest of it is all going to fall into place. Now let's go into the first three. The first three sefirot are intellectual. Anyone else here? You don't have books. Borrow some books here. Anyone else have a book? The first three. So before I even start, look at your diagram. Based on last week's class, tell me what you know. Without even going into, I don't want you to talk about, don't look at the words, don't look at the, 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 the explanations, just tell me what you know based on what we wrote on the board last week. Yes? That the, uh, the lower you go, the less evolved it is. Okay, so we learned about the worlds last week, and we know that the lower you go, the less evolved it is. Which world is this all in? Which world? What is the lowest low, What is the world? The lowest world. What is the lowest world called? Asiya. Asiya. It's in our world. This is all in the world of Asiya. How do you translate Asiya? Action. So it's in our world, the world of Asiya. What else do you know when you look at this diagram? What else does it have a? What is it similar to? The contraction of. And the contraction and the. What is it called? Concealing? The cob. The cob. Uh, you know the cob? The, the line? Yeah. What do you see here? They're all lines. Every Each piece. and every single one of these lines is a cob. We spoke about the cob. You know what I'm talking about when I say cob? Yes. Each and every one of these lines is a cob. So you see automatically this, now that you're already becoming a little bit of a Kabbalist, you see, this diagram is not just a chakra diagram, which a lot of people get confused about. But for those of you who know the chakras, you're going to find them very different. The sefirot are very different than the chakras. So what you're going to see right away is this is very much in sync with the Kabbalistic style. Do you follow? Mm-hmm. Do you follow this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's start here. Also, we're seeing it flat. It's probably three-dimensional. Um, <coughs> it doesn't have to necessarily be the three-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, here. well, obviously, like, you know, the sovet and the male, the, the circle, you know, the, the different, different levels will always be three-dimensional. Yeah. But even, I'm just saying from a, from a surface level, we're going to get into the surface level here tonight. But would, would you agree that in all systems of meditation, including the chakra, all systems of meditation, that the ultimate goal is self-realization and the final rebirth from the top of the cloud. Yes, absolutely. So, so I want to. I have a lot of. I have a lot of information I want to talk about tonight. I'm going to try, as usual, to try to keep the the questions and the comments. will we'll, you know, to, to a, a minimal, so that way we can get through. I don't think we're going to get through everything tonight. We may have to continue next week with this, but we'll try very hard to do it. I also don't want to. I want to make sure that you get all the information here. So we're going to start off with Chachma. Chachma, I translate here as conception. It's also translated as wisdom, 
it's translated as spark. What exactly is Chachma? Chachma is the right side of the brain. It is, comes from the word, we're going to do a little Hebrew. By the way, Kabbalah loves Hebrew, etymology, and numerology. This is the best part of it. So it comes from the word Koach Ma. Chachma is four letters. Chachma is four letters. Koach Ma. Koach Ma means the potential for what is. It's basically that spark, that little piece of inspiration. I'm telling you something now. And all that moment, the moment when you go, aha, that's Chachma. That's it. Chachma lasts exactly that long. Aha, boom. You now experience Chachma. It's that moment where you acquire a new piece of knowledge, where you acquire something Brand new, that, that just that, that spark of inspiration, that, that, that moment of just realization, that's it. Then we're going to go across to the left side. We call it Bina. The best definition I think I can give for Bina is conceptualization. The expansion of, of conception. I'll bring it into simple words. You got the concept. You got the idea. You're, that is, the spark of inspiration is over. The spark of inspiration lasts a grand total of a second. Two seconds if you're lucky. What happens then? Then you start piecing it apart. You work it over and you analyze it and you question it and you, you, you try to figure it out. You try to figure it out again and again. And, and, and trying to, to understand something anew, that whole process is Bina. That is the Bina process. So, Chachma, the right side, is the first, the first spark. The first, wow, aha. Then you go to Bina. Bina pieces it apart analyzes it, understands it. What do you remember from university? Nothing. Why not? <laughs> I remember uh, more concepts than actual concrete information. I remember ideas... That... The reason why I think, my personal opinion, university doesn't work is because university stops at Chachman Bina. That's it. They give you inspiration, a little spark, a little bit of knowledge, we piece it apart, we talk about it, we write thesis about it, we write dissertations about it, and that's it. It's over. Was it meaningful? Did it matter? Not really. It was it. There's a very important piece missing from the experience of education. What's interesting to me also is that education comes from the Greek word edukara, to convey a message. Whereas in Hebrew... We don't say education. What is edu- what's the word for education in Hebrew? Chinuch. Chinuch is the, is the word, which means dedication. It's a huge difference. Education is not conveying a message. 
if you think that I'm conveying a message here tonight, you might as well leave. That's not what this, this is all about. This is experiential. This is real. And that is what Da'at is. Da'at is the missing link. It's actually the balance between Chachma and Bina. So you have the first spark of inspiration, and then you have, you've analyzed it, Rawat. It's over. Nice. Let me put it in my pocket. Move on. But I won't remember it until I do what? Apply it. Apply it. Everything we learn here, we are in the world of action. Everything is about application. If you take a concept and you understand it, and you understand it to the point where you know it so well, now it's time to apply it. How do you apply it? Direction. But even more so, what that application does is it... You know how you know you did dot? The dot test is when you can't remember who told it to you. It's so much part of you that you're saying it over. You, who, who said that? And you said it over so many times that you don't even remember where it came from. You actually think you made it up. There are some times it happens where you think that that's my idea. You probably heard it 10 years ago. And, and, and you've been talking about it for the past 10 years. And it became your idea. That is what dot is. That is what Kabbalah wants. I want to tell you something interesting. A lot of people don't know this. But if you look at the window here, you're going to see the word Chabad. And Chabad is just an interesting word. I mean, why is it called Chabad? Chabad is an acronym for Chachma Bina Dat. This is the process of the intellect. Now, what do we know about the intellect before tonight? What do we know? What's important about it? What's the, the mind versus heart? What's important? 5149. The mind has to dominate the heart, 5149. So, Chachma Bina Dat is the essence of our character. Are you tired of swiping right on every dating app out there and still getting nowhere? Are you convinced that you'll forever be alone, surrounded by nothing but uh, cats and empty takeout containers? <laughs> Hi, I'm Aliza Ben Shalom, the host of the new show, Jewish Matchmaking, which you can find on Netflix. And I'm the love rabbi, Rabbi Yisrael Bernath, and we're inviting you to join us for Matchmaker Matchmaker. Each week, we'll answer one of your pressing relationship questions, from how to get over your ex to how to deal with your partner's annoying habits. So if you're ready to laugh, uh, cry, or maybe even find love, then tune in to Matchmaker Matchmaker, and it's available now wherever you listen to your podcasts. I think it's more than that. It becomes who we are. It's really who we are in a very real, very practical, very, very simple way. It's that we are Chachma Bin Adat. And I think that's why Chabad 
um, resonates because it's really the intellect. It's our mind. It's our brain. It's that expansion. It's that growing. The other seven of the sefirot are all emotional. Now let's establish something. There's no brain in the heart. There's no heart in the brain. They're separate. The intellectual faculties are separate from the emotional faculties. They're very separate. So, so understanding that we have Chachma, Bina, and Dat, what else is necessary? What do we need in the, um, in, in the emotional faculties? So let's, let's understand the emotional. I'm, just gonna, I'm kind of giving you an overview, and then we're going to go into it in a little more detail. Chesed. Chesed, the right side. Chesed means attraction. Chesed means loving kindness. Chesed means... Chesed. Now... Chesed is where, when someone's in love, they can't see. If you're taken, if you're just completely overwhelmed, excited, if you're just completely taken by the person you're in the relationship with, you don't see beyond the relationship. All you can see is chesed. That's all you see is this... in. It's this intense, pure emotion that just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it's, it's giving, 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 giving. That's chesed. And that's how God created the world. God created the world with chesed. Pure, just giving, giving, giving. The problem is like this. If we're only going to give, if God just gave all of himself to the world, what would have happened? Exactly. God is infinite. If he gave all himself to the world, we would be blessed in obliteration. So, so we needed a, the, ops, the opposite. We needed the exact opposite of chesed, which is gevura, severity, or, or rejection, attraction and rejection. We need both. We need God to create the world with chesed and then stop and say, okay, enough is enough. So gevura is like discipline? Gevura is rejection. Attraction, rejection. That's the world, the polarity of the Absolutely. These are all going to be polar opposites. Chachma and Bina are polar opposites, and now Chesed and Gevura are polar opposites. Too much, too much. Chesed. People who are attractive, people who are attractive, attraction comes from chesed. If you're attracted to someone, it comes from chesed. I learned something very powerful over the past few months. I learned that if you're only chesed, if you're only giving, 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 if you're only kind, then you're not kind. 
that you need severity, you need rejection in order to be kind. You need to say no in order to say yes. Because a lot of people say yes because they're afraid of saying no. That means that your yes was not a yes. It was a fear of saying no. So really what you were doing when you said yes is you were not doing gvura, but you weren't doing chesed either. So you think that you're being kind because at the end of the day, the action looks like you were being kind, but really you weren't being kind. You just weren't being severe. You wanted to be severe though. You wanted to reject that person. You wanted to say no. But you couldn't. So what ended up happening is you said yes. You weren't happy about saying yes. And you then created what we're going to talk about, imbalance. That is creating imbalance. And what we're going to try to understand here tonight is how to create balance. Now what would be the balance of chesed, of loving kindness, and gevura of rejection. What could be that balance? I'm going to change the definition of teferit. I decided this afternoon on the plane that it has a, a much, I have a much better definition for it. My definition is compassion. Here's my question for you. My question is, what's deeper, love or compassion? Love is magic. Love is romance. Love is fun. Yeah. Love, love can allow you to dream. Well, we spoke about that in the first class, right? That selfish love. I'm talking about non-selfish love. Love of a spouse. Love, love, pure love. We're in love. You know that whole thing. What? Love is consuming. Love is consuming. Love depends on the other person. I love you. I love you for da 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 da. But what happens when I'm not happy with you? When I don't love you? Then does our relationship dissolve? Does our relationship dissipate? Because we were in love a year ago and now we're not in love. What happens then? Okay, so you're saying you're defining love as something you get from something. Love so needs a person. It needs something. You need to get something from there it. There needs something to be lovable. You can't love air. I love air. Okay. <laughs> but, but even air exists. You can't love something that's not lovable. Yeah, but usually you love somebody because of the way they make you feel. Well, that's a, that's a, that, 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 that becomes a selfish love. But love needs someone. 
Compassion is a whole new world. Compassion, you don't need anyone. It doesn't matter if you person loves you or not. I'm compassionate for you. Unconditional. Completely unconditional. Completely unconditional. For love, the recipient needs to be available. If I'm not attracted, I don't love. Compassion is different. Compassion comes, I believe, I didn't check this up, but I believe it comes from two Latin words called come passe. Come means together, and passe means suffer. <laughs> together, we suffer. That's compassion. I am going into your world. Something happened to me this past Friday. It would be wrong for me not to talk about it. I had planned a convention, a trip to go to this convention, uh, about two or three months ago. I planned this trip. But it happened to be that the convention took place right after the devastation of Hurricane Sandy. And I was in New York, and I said, there's no way that I could be in New York, even though I had no... I was coming here way before Sandy was even a thought. But how can I be here knowing that people right here are suffering and not to lend a hand? Just even for two hours, not, it doesn't have to be forever, just to say that I was here and, I, and, I, and, I, and you matter. You matter to me. I'm, I'm here in your space and you matter. So I went to Long Island to the, where the worst devastation from Hurricane Sandy. I can't tell you what it looks like. It is unbelievable. You just see piles of rubble. My, the, first thing I, the first place that I had volunteered was to help, and still, you know, how many was two and a half weeks ago? There was this house that had, the water just subsided. There was a lawn. I saw this, a lawn. There was a dead three-foot fish on there, a turtle and an eel, sitting on the lawn. And it was not the block of the, after the ocean. This was like 20 blocks from the ocean. How did it get there? The devastation everywhere you look, there's sand and salt and just everything is just disgustingly dirty. I mean, I don't know, it's been months and months before they, if they can ever rebuild some of these. But this, this place where I was, I don't know. There's a family there. And I went there to, to shovel sand. I mean, that was what I was doing. But this woman was, was, was there and she was crying. And I said to her, why are you crying? Aren't you happy that we're here to, to help you? And he said, that's why I'm crying. I'm crying because I thought everyone forgot about me. I thought that, I thought that no one remembered us. The, the FEMA didn't help us. The municipality didn't help us. But here I am, 
a nice Christian woman and three rabbis showed up at my door. And they're shoveling dirt out of my basement. And she says to me, where is my priest? Where is my minister? Where is my community? Where are the people of New York? Why do I have to get a rabbi from Montreal, a rabbi from, from, from Raleigh, Raleigh uh, South Carolina, and a rabbi from, uh, from Switzerland showing up at my door, shoveling my dirt? That is the ultimate form of compassion. I don't need you, but you need me. I don't love you for the way you love me. I love you for being human. I love you for the human experience. Because you have a soul like I have a soul. And we are both here in this world, together, at the same time, in the same place. And we're brought together to be for one another, to be responsible for one another, to be together for one another. That's what the human condition is, and that is what teferit is. That is what compassion is. We have a responsibility. A responsibility to the world. If we don't, if you find yourself in a place and you don't do something about it, it's so easy to say, well, someone else will do it. I'm sure there's a lot of people who do it. Well, all those people who do it, what do you think they did? They get out of their bed, they get into their car, and they did it. That's what this world is made of. This world is made of people who do. And it's so easy to be passive about it and say, I'm not going to do because someone else will do it. And very often I think we are in situations where we could have done something, but we didn't. That's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to the human condition, to the human experience. It's our responsibility to suffering. It's our responsibility to love. Love, suffering. Our responsibility is compassion. Right in the middle. We will understand love and will appreciate suffering with compassion. It's so complicated to really understand these ideas because they're emotions. They're not to understand. There's nothing to understand. And that's why I feel like I have to be emotional about it. Just so that to be able to understand on an emotional level, whatever that means, what this whole experience is like. Thing, like in the case of Sandy, it's compassion. So what's wrong with that? 
Nothing's wrong with that. But if I wasn't able to do it... No, but you did it because it was the right thing, but you no. really wanted to say no, but you did it anyway. No, I didn't want to say no. I, that's it. If I really wanted to say no, I should not have done it. If, if, if there are some people... There are some people who can't deal with, with, with grief and bereavement. They shouldn't try to volunteer to help a bereaved family if they can't deal with it. Just because someone asked them to and they can't say no. That's not okay because what they're going to do in the process is they're going to, they're going to hurt more than they're going to help. So, but where's the compassion then? There is compassion, but compassion has to come from within. Compassion has to come with a knowledge that I, yes, I want to do it. It has to come with a balance of the two. It's, it's not, I'm going to give you my, my whole day because I don't have my whole day. I'm going to give you two hours. So I'm going to give you with my heart and soul for two hours. Compassion. I, I, I'm not completely just kind. Emotions. You're just not going through the motions. You really are, uh, it's intentional, your, your goodness, basically. Kabbalah says you are where your thoughts are. That's where you are. What happens, like, you know, like, if you, you don't want to do this certain thing, but you know it's the right thing, and you push yourself to do it, and you, like, you, 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 you develop that compassion after you do it? Let me, uh, let me, let me... Yeah, Let me give you a line I wrote here. This is a line from the Kutzker Rebbe. He said it in Yiddish. It sounds much better. But I'm going, to say it, I'm going to say it in English. If I am... <coughs> if I am I, because you are you, and you are you, because I am I, then I am not you, and you are not I. But if... What? <laughs> but if I am I because I am you sorry, sorry, I am I because I am I and you are you because you are you then I am I and you are you and now we can begin talking mm-hmm. often you're right we need to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. But we also, if you decide to do something outside of your comfort zone, you have to do it. You can't decide, oh, uh, you know, I'm going to do this and this and thing because I can't say no. Or I'm going to do this and this and thing because, I don't know, I just, I'm, I'm just going to do it. There needs to be... But she, we didn't say because you can't say no, because it's the right thing to do. Not because... That's fine. No, but it's also That's right fine. You're, you're, it doesn't matter what your motive and is. You're like, oh, I feel good because I didn't want to do this thing to begin with, but the fact that I did it... You're, you're, 100%, I, you're 100% right, because you know? what's the end result? The end result is action, right? As long as you're doing it, a lot of people, we can stand here and, and sit here and speculate, and if we don't get it done, then what does it matter anyway, right? Because the job wasn't done. The job has to get done. So however your motive was to get it done, what we're talking about here tonight is what is the best solution? What is the roadmap to life? What is, how are we going to live our lives? Are we going to live our lives just, like you said, just kind of fumbling in, in, the, in the snow and trying to figure out our way around? Or are we going to live our lives trying to find some order and some structure into how we do things? So what I'm presenting you here tonight is a structure. 
It's an order for how to, how to do it. You, yes, it's true, you can still do things. And many great people have done great things without anything like this, without ever knowing anything like this. And there are the greatest, some of the greatest people who have given the most, I mean, stories that are, I don't have to tell you, they're unimaginable of kindness and goodness and people from their whole hearts that didn't have any of this, but they did have it without knowing it. So what I'm saying is I think in our world today, we need this. We need the structure. We need to know how it works. And we need to have this conversation. So, Rabbi, so what you're saying, the lines going to the integration are the various levels that we're comprehending that action. You know what? I, I, I think we're going we're gonna to get lost here tonight. I want to go into the text, and then we'll come back to understanding it. Page 28. Everything that happens in the spiritual worlds take place through the medium of the Sefirot. However, they are not God. And the Kabbalists warn that one should not pray to them. In the words of the Zohar, it says like this, Elijah opened his discourse and said, Master of the worlds, you are one, but not in the numerical sense. You are exalted above all the exalted ones, hidden from all the hidden ones. No thought can grasp at you. You are he who has brought forth ten garments, and we call them ten sefirot, the revealed worlds, and through them you conceal yourself from man. This is the direct source how we know the sefirot exist. Direct source directly from the Zohar. You are he who binds them together and unites them. And inasmuch as you are within them, whoever separates one from another of these ten sefirot is considered as if he had effected a separation in you. Each one is part of a whole. As we said last week, tzimtzum is the concealment of the Aren Sof, of the infinite light which allows the Seder Histal Shulut, I'm using these terms because I'm hoping you understand them, a series of intermediary stages or worlds that makes the creation of the finite world possible. Each of these worlds is a spiritual infrastructure, the most basic component of being the Sefirot. The Sefirot is us, is our life. The Sefirot are ten modes or attributes through which God manifests himself. The Sefirot are not God, but they are the medium through which specific qualities and attributes can be ascribed to him. The word sefira is related to the verb lesaper, which means to express or communicate. This implies that, one, the function of the sefira is to express a certain attribute. It's also interesting that it relates to the word sapphire or sapir. A sapphire is a gemstone that is brilliant and illuminating, implying that, two, the function of the sphera is to give light. Combining these two concepts to express a certain attribute and to give light, one could say that the sphera would have two basic functions. One, as lights or luminaries that serve to reveal and express, and another as vessels that limit and define the light so that specific qualities are, ma- are manifest. 
The sphere can be compared to two hands of a king. Sometimes the king operates with his right hand, and sometimes with his left. Ultimately, it's the king himself who's acting through the medium of his hands. Let's go, let's skip to the top of page 30. The Sephirot are also reflected in man's spiritual makeup, with each faculty in man derived from the supernal Sephirot. When one utilizes the ten soul powers within them, in their divine service, here in this world, they're able to affect their source, the Sephirot, in the higher worlds. Now the ten Sephirot are generally divided into two categories, intellect, seichel, and emotions, midot. Seichel and midot, intellect and emotions. The category of intellect includes the three intellectual powers of Chachma, Bina, and Dat, which are an acronym for the word Chabad, and the emotive powers represent by the seven channels of Chesed, Gevura, Teferet, Netzach, Hod, Yesod, and Malchut. They are also referred as the three mothers and the seven doubles. This is a very common term in Kabbalah as the, the Shalosh Avot, the three the, 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 sorry, it's the Shalosh Imot, the three mothers, and the seven doubles. The first three are viewed as mothers because they are the source and root of the other seven. Why are they the source and root of the other seven? Because Moach Shalet Alalev, the mind must always dominate the heart. Just as a mother is a source of her offspring, the seven emotions are called doubles because they manifest themselves in a twofold manner. How do they manifest themselves? They manifest themselves. They, we, have, we have seven times two in, inside of us. We actually have 14 attributes, if you want to really go into it. And that is we have, we have, um, we have seven in the animal soul and seven in the divine soul. So each one of these can manifest itself both in the animal soul and in the divine soul. The first sefira is called Chachma. Chachma is the sole faculty that conceives any matter. That's why it's made of the words Koachma, which means the potential of what is. Chachma produces the original idea and is often referred to as the first flash of intellect. It already contains within it all the details of the idea, but as they are concentrated and obscured, which means that it's kind of like that, that zip file in, in a different way, where it has everything in there. It's concentrated orange juice. It has everything in there, and all you have to do is expand it. But all of Bina and Dat are in Chachma. It's not like, oh, that was a first flash of inspiration. No, it's just needs to be worked on, it needs to be developed. But really, Chachma has everything. And if you were able to, to understand things through the light of Chachma, you wouldn't need the other two, if we just could understand things. Because you would be able to get just that first second, and everything would be explained. Which is essentially, to a certain extent, how it used to be at some point. It's everything in potential. I love Chachma because 
Chachma represents the potential for anything. Within Chachma, anything can happen. We have unlimited potential, and that's what Chachma teaches us. We have the power to do anything. We just have to be able to just do it. The potential has to be likened to a dot in which everything is contained, but nothing is actualized or given definition. In the Tetragrammaton, this is represented in the first letter of the Yud, the dot. The Yud in God's name is the dot, that source, that light, just that, that infinite everything is possible. Anything can happen. It's that conception. The baby is born. The world of possibilities. We have no idea what this child will develop to be. Within this little baby is the mature adult that the baby will become and develop into. And within this little baby, when we hold the baby in our arms, we say this child has the potential for absolutely anything. Somewhere we get lost in translation and we find we, we, we were limited somehow. I don't know how it happens. But really, if we go back to the infancy stage, back to the Chachma stage, anything is possible. And we can at any point in time in our life, today, right now, go back to that infancy stage and say anything is possible. It's never too late. You can do absolutely anything. Anything that's in your power. Anything that's in any, any power. The second, across, I, I, I want to say something very interesting, is that the right side you're going to find, as you go down, is projective. The left side is withdrawal, and the center is integration. And that is the way God made the world. That proactive creation comes from the right. Withdrawal the, the, the stop, the separation, the, the halt, and say, too much light over here, we need to, uh, you know, to dim the light a bit, that comes from the left side. And integration is balance. Everything, when you talk about balance, balance is all about integration. It's all about doing action. Because that's what we're here for. That's what it's about. So now, we go to the withdrawal stage. We go to Bina. The second Sephira, top of page 31, is Bina. Bina means to understand or derive one matter out of another matter. What are we deriving from? We're deriving from Chachma, and we're developing it into Bina. Bina takes the original idea and expands and develops it both in breadth and depth. It crystallizes and clarifies the details of the idea that were obscured in Chachma. That which was in concentrated form is now revealed and understood. In the name of God, Bina is the letter Hey. It's shaped, which is more elongated and comprised of strokes, implies the expansion of the dot. So let me explain to you how this works. Ha, um, can, can you see down here? Chachma is Yud. That's a Yud. That's Chachma. That's the dot. What Bina does is the hay. It expands on the dot. This is God's name, Yod Hay. 
חכמה פינה. The Zohar describes them as the dot in the palace, with the dot Chachma being realized in the palace of Bina, the Koachma, the potential for what is, will be realized in Bina. Interesting. Side note. If you know this, if you know it like this, don't answer it. But if you don't know it, let's, I just have a, I have a question for you. Masculine and feminine, very common in Kabbalah, very common in Judaism. There's different tenses. Hebrew is full of masculine and feminine tenses. Um, what here is masculine and what here is feminine? The youth is a masculine. It is true. The right side is masculine, the left side is feminine. So, Chachma is masculine. Bina is feminine. You understand the what now? It's the the. It's that's why you know a lot of people say you know he won't talk to me. The feminine nature is to talk, is to be bina, is to talk it out. The masculine nature is just to have that that yud, that spark. But the potential is there. All the potential is there. He can be fixed. <laughs> Yeah, well, that stopped. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you something very interesting, though. Even though it's true that the right side is masculine and the left side is feminine, and the balance in the middle is the ma- balance of feminine and masculine. By the way, I don't know if you know this. In Kabbalah, there's no such thing as male and female. Just male and female energies. We are all comprised of both male and female energies. For most men, the male energy is dominant. For most women, the female energy is dominant. It explains a lot of other things in our world. Um, but that's Kabbalah. I mean, that's what it is. We're, we're comprised of male and female energies. We all have. That's why we can be attracted to each other. It wouldn't make sense. If, we, if I was purely masculine and my wife was purely feminine, there would be no attraction. We, all, we both have a little bit of each other within us. But what's but, interesting... By the way, Jungian ideas uh, just, I'm, I'm gonna, okay. come from the Kabbalah. So what, what's interesting about this is that really it's all masculine as well because what ends up happening is we're going to learn about Malchut. Malchut is like the brainstem. Malchut is what, brings, what makes everything work. That's really the true feminine side. The action is feminine. Understand a lot more now? Okay. <laughs> okay. But it's even interesting because because Mashiach says this, which retracts inwards. Right, right, exactly. And it's a condensing, like it's exactly. A it has to all condense. It's kind of like the Holland Tunnel. It's I got it all condensed into two lanes. You know, if I was, I was we're driving down the Holland Tunnel. You see, like seventy lanes have to go into two. That's what. But we're gonna get there. We're gonna get them out. But that's like Simpson, no? Well, that's part of the process of Simpson. Yeah, we're 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 all over the place tonight. Like I said, what happens here stays here. So, <laughs> what? Malchut is like is, the, is that contraction where you have like it's like the it's like the Holland Tunnel where you have like ten lanes contracting into one to go through the tunnel. That that's kind of, that's what Malchut is. So is it? The well, we're gonna get there. We haven't. We're not. We're only halfway through. So we're we're, we're gonna get there eventually. Um, the idea conceived can still remain abstract. 
The meaning of dot denotes attachment, union. Like it says, Adam knew, yada, from the word dot, Adam knew Eve. The faculty of dot brings the abstract conception into actuality. An idea has to be felt and implemented. And dot has the power to unite the intellect and the emotions. That's why it's the, it's the, the conduit between the intellect and the emotions, like the brainstem. It's the conduit between the intellect and the emotions. It's only by great attachment to an idea, by binding and unifying oneself to the idea, to the extent that one only, not only understands the idea, but also feels for it. That can be brought into practice. It's clear how that now becomes the connector between Chachma and Bina and the rest of the body, the rest of the Sefirot. In the human body, the three cognitive faculties of Chabad correspond to the right cerebral hemisphere, the left cerebral hemisphere, and the cerebellum, from which stems the spinal cord connecting the brain to the rest of the body. And you're going to see, very interesting, what, what is in the right cerebral hemisphere, the Chachma side, what, is, what do we know is the, the right side, is the... The artistic side. It's the artistic language. It's the potential for what is. It's all the artistic, all the, all the creative side, right? What are we doing? Chachma, creative. What's the left side? Logic, reasoning. Weird because the left side is in, in, we usually connect the left side to rational logic, male, and creative, intuitive, it's female. And very often that, that's what's done. I think we have a different uh, opinion here. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I think it's pretty clear that it's, it, the Kabbalah does not agree with that. Yeah. Which is, uh, maybe, uh, maybe psychology will get there soon. And it's interesting is, if you actually, if you actually um, break it down to its core, from a psychological perspective, I think you're going to find that, that it, it is so. It is so. Because even though a lot of people think in our world, our world is, is conditioned very different than what I think it should be or that what Kabbalah thinks it should be. Whereas our world does not value the creative side. Right? The creative side. You have to go to university. You've got to be completely left-brained. I mean, if you're not left-brained, you're not going to make it if you don't have a degree. Whereas really what was... What, what should be is that the creative side needs to, st- needs to inspire, needs to create the dot, that moment, that, that excitement for the left side to then go through the mathematics and everything else. A lot of people are failing out of university. Our education system, never in history did everybody go to school. Never was. You lived in the farm, you helped with the farm. You lived in, nobody went to school. This new world where everybody has to go to school and develop their left brain, I think we missed the point. Because we have all these Chachma people who are actually the people that are probably running the world. They are running the world, right? They're all high school dropouts that went and developed their, their right brain. Steve Jobs was definitely not a left brainer. He was pure right brain. But he... You know, all these, if you go look at the biographies of the greatest people in the, in the 21st century, or even the 20th century, you're going to find they're all right-brained people that, be, that developed their left brain. And that is, what, that is what we need to do. We need to become right-brained people that develop our left brain. Musicians, too. 
musicians, it's all, all that artistic, we're all those things, that, oh, you know, you're in the arts, oh, you're eccentric, you know, oh, you're a hippie, you know, you're, you're you know, they have all these, we, we love to, we love to define everything, everything must be defined. How do you know when you've struck the balance? How do you know when you've struck the balance? You're always going to go between the right and the left. When you're applying it in the real world. But when you're applying it in the real world, when you take your right brain and you create these fantastic little machines that change the way we, we, we work and the way we live and think, then you know that you've created that balance. When if you're still just going back and forth between Chachma and Bina, trying to figure out your life, you haven't made it yet. And you may think you figured out your life, but you haven't yet. What happens is when you actually can create the dots, when you can bring it down and make it real, which means it actually works, it actually lives, you live and you breathe it and you work it and you do it, not necessarily means that you have to build tables. It means also that you need to apply, apply, apply your, this change. One of, and I've said this before, but my favorite quote from the Rebbe was, he said once, Every, many times he said, every living thing must grow. There's nothing alive that's not growing. If we're not growing, we're going the other way. We're not a bunch of pieces of meat waiting to die. We are growing. We are evolving. We're becoming better, and we need to grow. And growing doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It's this process. And that is where growth Actually, when this is the seed, we're planting the seed. Bina is, is the soil and the water and the photosynthesis. And Dot. It's Facebook. <laughs> True. But so is Facebook. Dot's right. I was sitting. <laughs> I was, sitting at this, I was sitting in this banquet last night with 5,000 rabbis. Now, is that, that's pretty intimidating, by the way. With 5,000 rabbis in Manhattan. And I was enjoying more watching the live commentaries on Twitter than I was being there. <laughs> Welcome to our new world. <laughs> I was tweeting. We were all, a lot of rabbis were tweeting their commentaries on the speeches and things. It was hilarious. <laughs> There's like a whole conversation going on in this room. Everyone's on their phones and they're actually enjoying it. That's it. They were anyway. So. Uh, Doesn't Twitter come from the word twit? Yeah, exactly. I believe it. So. What? It's sad, very sad. Five thousand rabbis is so much but gain. No, it's not that. It's not that. Uh, what I like about Twitter is that you get the basic points. Like you're listening to the speech, but not always do you pick up all the main points. And in 167 characters, somebody can like, oh yeah, that was. He did say that. That was really interesting. And you end up picking up. You end up taking the essence. What Twitter is is the dot. It's the essence. You end up. You know, you're going through the Chachma Bina, but you've got to pull out the essence of what the person is saying, of what's happening here. Like if someone was tweeting live from this class tonight, there may be some things that you didn't hear. 
that you're going to, that, that all of a sudden came in this little, very short, very simple form of, of this tweet. And I think that that's where our world is today, where we all just want, just tell it to me, don't give me the whole thing. I don't want the thesis. I don't want to go to university and try to figure out the whole story. Just give it. Tell me the end. Just go right to the end. That's that. That we live in a dot world. We are all demanding dots from the world. The truth, we know what's, well, you know what's very interesting? I, I, I always read these studies on the future of the Jewish people. I don't know why. I just like that kind of stuff. Anyway, so there's a guy, Jack Wertheimer. He does all these studies. So he says that today, the reason why places like Chabad and all these, you know, these, these religious Jewish organizations are successful is because people, when they want an, a, a Jewish experience, they want it authentic. And I think that's the world that we've come into today, is that we want authentic experiences. If I'm actually going to take the time to go out from my busy schedule and do something spiritual, why am I going to go for the watered-down version? I, just, I want to just tell me. You know, don't, don't, you know, don't, don't give me the, the, the... Just give me the cliff notes. Tell me what it is. But I want the essence. I want the truth. At the end of the day, no matter, as the world becomes more and more false, the truth is going to become more compelling and more exciting. And that is really where we're holding in our world today. That wasn't my, uh, that was a study that I, that I had seen. That's exactly what people ask me when you go to Chabad. That's exactly what I say. If you're going to do it, better be like, better be like, uh, better be spiritual. I mean, why not? Yeah. Why not? And I think that, you know... I, I, I'd like to read a quote from you. Oh. To you. Sorry, a quote to you. Um, you're going to have to guess who, who, who wrote this quote. But I believe that this quote represents Judaism in the 21st century. Or I'm going to say religion. Or I don't like the word religion, whatever. Faith in the 21st century. Listen to this. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. The occasion is piled high with difficulty, and we must rise with the occasion. As our case is new, so we must think anew and act anew. We must disenthrall ourselves, and then we shall save our people. (laughs) Abraham Lincoln. And people, I, I was talking to somebody over the weekend who is a big maven in Abraham Lincoln. He said that people who know Abraham Lincoln, this was the quote he lived by. Out of all of his amazing speeches and all of his amazing quotes, this is the one he lived by. And I think that that is where we're headed. The dogmas of the quiet past are inadequate to the stormy present. Absolutely. And I think that, that yes, maybe you're, you're sad about the fact that we're all sitting in the room tweeting, but that is the language of our world today, is we want everything concise and clear. Now, let's go into the next three sefirot. The next three sefirot are the emotions. It's actually the beginning of the emotions. In the body, chesed corresponds to the right arm, Yevura to the left arm, Teferet to the heart. 
Chesed, the right arm. Givura, the left arm. And Tiferet is the heart. And every forefather represents that, right? Yeah. So the, the Kabbalists draw parallels between the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the three supernal Sephiro, Chesed, Givura, and Tiferet. So let's talk about Chesed. Loving kindness. Because it's not love and it's not kindness. It's loving kindness. It's both. Because love is loving... That's really what it is. Some people trans... I've seen so many translations. I've seen love. I've seen kindness. Loving kindness. Other translations that I've given you here as well. It's the attribute which diffuses benevolence to all without limit. Creation itself was an act of chesed. Like it says, the world was built with chesed. The attribute of chesed is also called greatness, gedulah. For life issues for him to an unlimited number of worlds and creatures. As we learn from Abraham, it's the nature of the benevolent to do goodness. In Abraham, who embodies chesed, we see the paradigm of endless loving kindness. His tent was open on all sides, and he extended the warmest of hospitality to all. Where chesed is boundless, gevura is restraint. So God created the world with kindness. This world, right, he created the world and it was good. Everything was good. Pure kindness. Lots of kindness. God just showered us with kindness. The problem is it was too much to create the world. We had to, an infinite God, as we spoke about last week, had to create a finite world. So there had to be a limit. Enough is enough. You want to shower me with kindness enough, I need some tough love. So many parents so easily shower their children with kindness. But you know what happens? It gets gets destructive. And some parents are like drill sergeants. (laughs) And there's no love. There's no kindness. That's not good either. I, 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 I see parenting like this, in this triangle. Chesed, Givur, Tiferet. Chesed is like, um, is like the helicopter, the helicopter parent, hovering over, constantly rescuing their children, constantly taking care of them, making sure, did you pack a lunch? Do you have enough to eat? Do you have enough to... Da, 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 the con- that, 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 that's Chesed. Givura is the drill sergeant. It's like... You do it and do it now, because I said. You know, they, so what's the ideal parenting? If it's not the helicopter, and it's not the drill sergeant, the ideal parent, in my opinion, is the consultant. <laughs> what does the consultant look like? Talk about parenting a bit, huh? What does the consultant look like? The consultant is there to guide and help. Help the company develop. That's what the consultant comes in to do. Help the company succeed. But the consultant doesn't come in and hover over the company. The consultant doesn't come in and demand the company. The consultant does both. The consultant comes in and sees the strategy creates a strategy and a plan so the company can be successful by themselves. We are raising children who need to be successful by themselves. They need to be able to go out into the world and be successful. 
and through the, the limited of time, the limited amounts of time that we have them under our control, which is very limited, and I, will, I see as the years go on, it gets more and more and more limited. But for that time, we need to give them the essence, the chachma, the essence of what they're going to need to be successful in the world. A mother called me up last week. I'm, I'm just going to tell you one little example, and we're going to go off this topic, because we can go on to this topic for hours. A mother called me up last week. She's a teenage child who... Um, doesn't come home. Says, um, I'm going to be home at 12 o'clock Saturday night or 1 o'clock Saturday night, and she is worried sick. She's worried sick. She, 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 then what does she do? She goes out to wherever, to St. Lawrence Street or wherever she's going, and looks for the kid. And she's like, I can't do this. And then when the kid comes home, she goes from Looking for the kid to the... Uh, you can never leave this house again. You told me you're going to be back. What are you doing? You told me you're going to be back. No, come on, I don't have to tell you this whole thing. You've heard it. Whether you've done it or you've heard it, you've definitely heard it. So I said, I have a simple strategy. It's called the consultant. This is what you do. You say to your son, I go to sleep at 12. Now, you said you're going to be out to 1, so I'm going to set my alarm at 1 o'clock. If my alarm wakes me up, I'm going to know you're in trouble. I'm going to call the police. Because you're really in trouble. I mean, my alarm. So your job is to turn off my alarm clock. That's good. That's your job. If my alarm clock rings, it's going to be like the fire department. I will, make, I will know you are in big trouble and I will make sure to take the proper precautions. If my house is burning, I would do the same thing I'm going to do because you're in trouble. That's it. That's all I do. That simple. No emotion. That's that easy. It worked. <laughs> they didn't work twice. It worked once. That was it. That alarm clock has never rung. There's a way of doing and I think that is where these, I'm just giving you some practical tips and you can apply this to your life. I really don't want to give examples. And one, one of the reasons why I can very easily give you all these examples, one of the reasons why I don't want to give examples is because these concepts apply to life and each one of us has a different way of applying them and has a different life. We don't all have children and we don't all have, our, we're not all in relationships, but there's, we're all working, we have employees, some of us, we have, you know, this, we have all different ways of applying this. So I don't want to just, just, you know, I don't want you to remember that this concept has to do with parenting because it has a lot more to do than just parenting. Now, by giving in an unlimited way, one is overwhelming the other. In this respect, it is the extension of chesed. Sorry, where did I go? I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. sorry, 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 sorry. Where chesed is boundless, givura is the attribute of restraint. It has the power and ability to limit and contract. In the act of creation, givura conceals from the created beings the activating force within them, 
This enables them to exist as tangible entities. Instead of being utterly nullified within their source, the patriarch Isaac is paralleled with Gevura due to the dominance of the Sephira within him. He restrained his emotions magnificently at the Akedah. I don't know if anyone knows this. How old was Isaac at the binding, at the altar? Huh? No, Isaac. When Isaac, when Abraham took Isaac to bind him, to, to sacrifice it to God, how old was he? 36. He was 36 years old. So everyone makes this into an Abraham story. Oh, Abraham went to sacrifice his child. The kid was not a, to two years old. He was 36. So Abraham is kindness. This episode of the Akedah in Kabbalah is a huge story because Abraham represents the kindness and Isaac represents the restraint because Isaac was... <laughs> was Actually restrained onto the altar. Was restrained onto the altar and many other ways of restraining as well. By the way, anyone who deals with anything with human behavior that doesn't know this, this is just, this, these concepts are just crucial to, to development and understanding people and understanding ourselves. Now, Gavura is called law and judgment. Judgment demands that chesed be distributed justly in proportion to the recipient's merit and not in boundless fashion. So, the judgment, see, Gavura is seen as this very severe, very fire and brimstone type of idea, but it's really not. It's just the stop of, of chesed. That's what it is, really. It's not this terrible thing. It's just chesed's got to stop because the world's got to exist. You can only be that kind. Kindness is not unlimited. Gavura allows chesed to exist. Wouldn't that be equivalent to uh, the mother's womb? A womb? No. No? No, I, I, know, I know where you're going. There's not a comparison. Okay. There, there is, in a different way, there's a comparison. But without, without Gavura, chesed would not have the boundaries needed in order for creation to exist. In terms of humanity, if chesed was dominant, the earth would be full of sinners, since love would cover all iniquity. Now, if Gavura was dominant, no one could withstand the scrutiny of judgment. We need them both, but they can't be dominant. Neither of them can be dominant. So, both, both Chesed and Gavura operate successfully through the mediating faculty, and that is called Tiferet, which we also can call the consultant. Tiferet blends chesed and gevura with harmonious and beautiful results. It can be compared to a garment dyed with many colors and blended in such a way that gives rise to beauty and decoration. It's equated with the attribute of compassion, whereas chesed would give even to a person to whom compassion is not at all appropriate. We know, for example, with addiction, if you give to an addict, you're enabling them. So chesed for an addict is not good. The addict needs to hit rock bottom. They call it, I think, bottoming out. 
There's a term in, 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 in addiction. And, and the, the addict needs to hit rock bottom in order for them to be able to, to, to fix up their lives. So if you were to, to enable, to, because you're very kind, I see this poor, unfortunate person. I just want to give to them. But you enable them, and as a result, you hurt them more than you help them. So, but, even though chesed could be to a person who is not appropriate, Tiferet seeks to pity a person to whom compassion is appropriate. And then, to extend benevolence to him, as well, regardless of worthiness. It has nothing to do with who you are. I'm compassionate to you because you are. That's it. You had a question? Yeah. Um, the world of chesed before Adam and Eve sinned, was it all chesed It's a very good question. Yes. The answer is yes. There was, but God built Gavura into the world, right? God said, don't eat from the tree. That was Gavura. Everything was chesed. You do whatever you want, just don't eat from the tree. And there would have been this whole element in the world, in paradise, in the Garden of Eden, hadn't they eaten from the tree. But because they ate from the tree, they brought this all in, which means now they balanced out Chachmabin, they balanced out Chesed and Gavur, they balanced out all these attributes, and, and they created the center, which has good and evil always existed. Just evil was very simple. Don't eat from the tree. And they ate. almost like God had a little laboratory going, he checked it out before he actually had the rest of the world happen. Well, it's sort as, of like a... essentially, essentially, the reason why Adam and Eve ate from the tree is because they were a day old. Tell a kid, don't, and see what happens. So, there was, it was easy come, easy go. There was no, there was almost a death wish, and it's a different, a different topic, but there was almost this idea where, what does it matter? I mean, I was born yesterday, so who cares? I have, I've never, I have no commitment. Whereas a lot of people end up in situations that maybe are, are, are not good for them because they're committed. There could be a toxic situation that we're committed to, but we're committed. There are people who end up, uh, I don't know, in jobs that, 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 that are completely empty and, 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 are, and are, are toxic because they're committed. Now, Tiferet is also equated with truth, with emet, in the sense that both chesed and gavura agree to its flow in the body. Tiferet is the heart whose central position in the torso mediates between right and left and creates harmony. In the patriarchs, Tiferet is seen as Jacob, the son of Isaac and the grandson of Abraham, the children of Jacob whose perfect balance of chesed and gavura, they were all righteous. Abraham had two children, one was righteous, one was, one, one was not according to the Bible, and uh, um, um, Isaac had two children, one was righteous and one was not, whereas Jacob had all 12 children of his were righteous. So that's why Jacob was equated with the ferret. Now, let's talk about the ferret a, a bit more. I was once, uh, a lot of people think that Tiferet 
is parenting. It's not, parents have a natural compassion for their children. This is not the compassion that we're talking about. I was once um, at a lecture that Joe Lieberman, the senator, was, was giving. And this guy just went on and on. He just lost the vice presidency just a, number, a couple of years ago. And this guy was going on and on, giving him like this eulogy of, a, of introduction. So he gets up, and I'll never forget, he says, he says, it's a pity that my parents are, aren't here tonight, because my father would have appreciated what you said, my mother would have believed you. <laughs> so a lot of people, a lot of people compare, you know, this to, but our children are an extension of ourselves. But on the other hand, compassion could be from child to parent, because that's not natural. That's why, that's why the fifth commandment is honor thy parents. Why is it not honor thy children? There are people who really hurt their children. Why? It should be commandment, honor thy children. Why is it honor thy parents? Because honoring your children is natural, because they're an extension of yourself. Honoring your parents is not natural. And that's why it's amazing when it happens. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. So now, relationships. Let's talk about relationships. Why is compassion important in a relationship? Why do we need compassion in our relationship? Because like this. If I just love you, eventually, I'm not going to love you. And then I'll love you again, and then I'm not going to love you, I'm going to love you again. And this is the ping pong of a lot of relationships. But what if we, end, if we center it, if we balance it, and what is that going to look like? We're going to have compassion. I love you because I'm compassionate for you. I love you because... Dot, dot, dot. That's it. Because. Not because you make me feel good. Not because you're my best friend. Not because we're tying the knot and we're going to live in total unity forever. That's not going to make a relationship work. Because a lot of relationships have said that and not worked. And they have, not only have they not worked, they have not worked after a month. Or they never worked, even when they said that. That whole idea is, we're never going to go to bed angry. What the heck is that? <laughs> Everyone says the same thing. <laughs> Who invented? Who invented that? Every couple gets the same piece of advice. It's like the universal advice. No matter who it is, no matter they are. <laughs> Your mother and I, we made a pact, then we got married. People never go to bed angry. What does that mean? That does not make relationships. Actually, that hurts relationships. You can very much go to bed angry. You know why? Because I'm compassionate for you. I'm not in love with you because you make me feel good. 
I'm in love with you because you exist. And that's it. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between, it's all you, and that's what I like. Don't change. I'm not a fixer-upper. I'm not going to change. Anyone who gets into a relationship thinking the person is going to change, you're in for a huge surprise. No one will change, ever. People rarely change. I'm not going to say, but I, I mean, we, we grow, we develop, but we don't change. So many people, yeah? Oh, I, well, I his, think we can I see change. his I see his potential. I think, I think, I see it. We can change, but it has to come from us. You can't, you, we can change, but it has to come from yourself. Yes, exactly. You're not going to change. Michael just clarified. We can change, but it has to come from ourselves. Yeah. It can't come because of the person. And the truth is, in a loving relationship, in a relationship where there's compassion, there will be change because it doesn't matter whether you change or not, I still love you. I will support you. I will help you. I will be there for you. And that's a very different way of thinking. That's a very different way of approaching a relationship. It's not instant oatmeal. Our world... Everything is instant. Easy come, easy go. It's like Adam and Eve. We're back to the source. It's all easy. If it doesn't work, if it doesn't happen, I could care less. That's it. There's a lot more where you came from. I think that we need to go back to basics when it comes to relationships. We need to understand that we're in a relationship just because... Not because of anything, not because I have a laundry list of why I like you, not because, just because you are. And there's actually a lot of things I don't like about you. There is. But that doesn't mean that it's a bad relationship. It just means that I tolerate you. I, I, I'm compassionate for you. I love you and I tolerate you. I love what I love and I tolerate what I don't love, but that's not going to change anything. And we will grow and some things will become more accentuated over time, and some things will become less accentuated over time. But overall, we're in this together, and for the long haul. And that will make up a good relationship. That is the chaf- that's the classic word to third experience in a relationship. A lot of people don't. That's the problem. That's why it's a tit for tat. It's a tit for tat. You know, it's, it's constantly. This most relationships in our world go like this. All back and forth, back and forth. I'm happy and sad, we're up, we're down. And there's this, this is imbalance. This is where you have imbalance. There's a, if you want to understand human nature, this is pure imbalance, going back and forth. Today, if there's one thing you can come out of this class today, is that if you, if you feel in any way like you're imbalanced, if you feel in any way like you're emotionally unstable, Kabbalah has a very simple, very practical way of dealing with it. It's called compassion. First, compassion for yourself, then compassion for your other, and then compassion for humanity. In that order. If you have children, compassion for your children in there. That is the Kabbalistic ingredients to not being imbalanced and not being all over the place. 
Emotions are hard. It's very hard to, to get into balance. And we're constantly going this way and that way. And things are pulling us in all directions. Enough is enough. Turn off the phone. No one's dying. The time has come that we recapture our emotions and realize that it's not as bad, it's not as difficult. Life is not hard. Life is as hard as you want it to be. Because there's a lot of people before us that have dealt with a lot worse and a lot harder than us. And they have thrived. They haven't just survived. They're not survivors. They're not victims. They thrive. And they thrive because of a simple ingredient. They'll all tell it to you in a different word. But it all boils down to compassion. Compassion for humanity. Compassion for life. For compassion for the world. For compassion for existence. And for the perpetuation of existence. They all have the same ingredients. You'll hear a lot of different words used, but it all boils down to this basic concept. That's it. Now, um, there's four more ingredients that we haven't gone to yet, but I know we're really going over time tonight. And, uh, huh? It's nine o'clock. Yeah, it's nine o'clock. Um, and uh, they're, they're, they're not... The next, uh, the next four, we'll, we'll finish those next week, and I have a special surprise for you for next week. Um, I have, I'm, I'm, I hope the technical part of it will work, but I have been able to um, secure a guest appearance via Skype from my teacher. His name is Rabbi Moshe Miller. He is an incredible, incredible teacher. He uh, has, I, I couldn't believe that he even agreed. He's going he's gonna to come on um, to, uh, to, for about 20 minutes next week at the end of the class. And he's going to kind of give us some pearls of wisdom. He is, just to give you an idea of who he is. He is the only person that I know that has translated the Zohar authentically. Wow. wow. What? This is just one. This is one. This is one book of a Zohar, but he's working on. This is one of his uh, his great works. He's he's written probably fifty or sixty books, but this is one of his great works. Um, I have a few copies here. I actually saw him this weekend, and um, he autographed these copies. It's in English, and he um, he said he'll send more. Um, so he's going to be, God willing, making a guest appearance uh, as a little surprise for you at the, the end of next week's class, and he's going to give. Some, some incredible pearls uh, of wisdom. He, he looked over the entire course and he said he's just going to kind of give you uh, the tweets. You know, just the, the, the essence of everything. So that's... Um, yeah, so that's, so that's it. I, have only, I only have two copies right now, but I'll, if anybody would like them, you can have them tonight. Um, and I have... Um, and, I, and, and I have... And, I ha- and I'll get... I mean, I can, I can order from him... Um, the, the rest of them. Now, um, I didn't get a clear answer about the continuation yes. of this course. So I would, I'm talking about the difference. I, I, my plan was to do one at the beginning of January, to do the next one. If, if, there's ten, if there's ten people that will keep on going and I, it'll justify me making a course, 
Okay, so the answer is, I guess, I guess I, the answer Rabbi, is yes. Rabbi, yeah. I would really, I really want to continue with the course, but I'm going to be in Israel. Wow. And, and I'm leaving on the 1st of December. Hi, Rabbi Bernath here. I have some great news for you. My popular four-week course, Kabbalah for Everyone, is available right now for free for the next 50 people who download it. All you have to do is go to www.theloverabbi.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and you're going to see the download button right there. In this course, I talk about the Kabbalistic secrets to relationships, to wealth, to happiness, and balance. This special offer has been dedicated in loving memory of Ellie Dorfman. I look forward to hearing from you and hope you enjoy the course. Now on to today's episode. 